This is a Federal News Network podcast. Transportation security officers, TSOs, aren't all that well paid relative to other federal law enforcement people. And although they have union representation, they don't have full rights of the regular Title V federal employees. A bill under debate in Congress right now would move TSOs to Title V and into the general schedule system, presumably giving them a raise. With what TSOs themselves think about all of this, we turn to the president of the American Federation of Government Employees Local 333, Joe Shooker. Mr. Shooker, good to have you on. Thanks for having me. And you also are a regional vice president, so you cover a lot of territories in your union-related work. Yeah, I do. I cover from Pennsylvania to uh, the Carolinas. I have six Category X airports ports under me, just to the Carolinas, basically, and then west to uh, Tennessee. And as a TSO yourself, are you also doing shifts ever on duty? I am, yes. And before we get into the details of what they're talking about in Congress, just give us a quick report on how things are at airports now as suddenly people are starting to fly and uh, the couple people I've known in the last few days that have flown couldn't believe the crowds at the airport and how mobbed the planes are. You're correct. I mean, passenger flow is definitely picked up increasingly every week, it seems, and uh, with this week probably being the heaviest. So we lost a lot of people during COVID, so we're kind of shorthanded. And, uh, you know, we're trying to hire right now, but we can't seem to get anybody They'll try and hire 12 people for a class, you know, and that's the limit with COVID now, in Philadelphia anyway. And half of them will show up, sometimes less than half. You know, we'll get four or five people showing up. So that's a hurdle. Just getting enough people hired and trained in time for the summer is going to be an issue. Sure. And do you think that one of the issues is the pay level that people come in as entry-level TSOs? It's got to be. Right. I mean, we're competing now with local convenience stores, stuff like that. You know, they're coming in at $13 an hour or something like that, which, you know, isn't real competitive. You know, it's a stressful job here. The hours aren't great. People are going in to work at 4 a.m., which means, you know, maybe a uh, 2.30 a.m. wake-up call. So it certainly hurts us, you know, the level of pay. Once we hire... We lose people because of them going on to another job, even another federal agency that pays more. So we have a huge turnover at TSA, which is really troubling. You know, if we could keep our guys here, it won't be nearly as bad. But people leave for higher pay. And how are labor relations generally with what you are able to negotiate? I guess it's been about seven, eight years now since AFGE was voted in to represent TSOs. How are labor relations with TSA? So our last CBA negotiations were an absolute joke. There was no real negotiations. We were handcuffed. We work under this uh, determination, which basically says that TSA doesn't have to follow any federal laws. For instance, they could discriminate if they wanted to. You know, they say they don't, but they could, you know. And that was put in place at the start of TSA. And most of it was basically because they didn't know what they were going to face. And uh, hiring practices or meeting quotas, stuff like that, may have hindered them getting it up and running. But 20 years later, they don't need this power. They have pretty much absolute power. And our last negotiations, they set the rules on negotiations. So we had 90 days to negotiate a contract. And if we didn't vote yes for the contract, 
we didn't have a contract for three more years. We weren't eligible for a contract for three more years. So it, it was a take it or leave it negotiation. So if HR 903 passes, which we believe it will, that will give us full collective bargaining rights. We're speaking with Joe Shooker. He's president of the American Federation of Government Employees Local 333 and a transportation security officer. So give us a little bit more detail on what you envision. So if and when, I should say when, H.R. 903 passes, we will then have full collective bargaining rights. Right now, if a TSO gets fired, they can't take it to a third party, which is the Merit Systems Protection Board, for an appeal. TSA has their own board that's made up with local managers or AFSDs. So they're basically just reading over a decision and agreeing with the decision of somebody else from TSA. There's no real third-party eyes. They rarely get overturned. We don't have a chance to go to a third-party arbitrator or a neutral party where, if our managers got fired, they do have that right. Seems totally unfair. So that's one issue, and pay levels, I guess, under Title V would be different. Anything else that you would seek in a normal negotiation for a work agreement? So as far as pay levels go, under Title V, we would have scheduled raises determining on the length of service you're here, right? So TSA has come out with some plan. Most of the TSOs in Philadelphia alone, 90% of us are at the bottom of our pay band which is hard, right? So for years, they had a right, which they say, more flexibility in pay, but they've never done it. They've never given us pay. Now, I don't know, pretty sure managers and above or headquarters got raises, which are flexible in this TSA pay scale. The TSOs have never gotten it. And do you think that this (laughs) translates down to morale issues on the job? So it definitely does. Now, morale... If you're struggling to make ends meet, or if you have to pick up hours, which a lot of officers do here, the ability to work somebody else's shift, the level of exhaustion is one thing, right? You know, they're tired. They're not able to pay their bills, so there's stress there. Now they're coming into a stressful job, so there's a lot of stress involved, right? So that's a morale killer to begin with before you even step in the door. Now you have supervisors and managers who... Actually, a lot of them don't know the rules, and they just make up their own rules. And it's pretty much they're able to fire you almost at will here, especially as a new hire. Like, they have a two-year probation period here where they can let you go for any reason at all. They don't have to really give you a reason why they're letting you go. It could be like, well, we don't feel like you're doing the job well enough, or we don't like you. We don't like your attitude. And they could just fire you, and there's no appeal right there. It's demoralizing, to say the least. Plus, you have to deal with the public, which is not very much fun a lot of times, is it, in an airport situation? Right. So in the beginning of COVID, we didn't have the right to tell passengers coming through that they had to wear a mask. We had to pat them down if they had a mask or not which is crazy. And then we got a lot of love from passengers during the government shutdown when we were working without pay, right? We went through that period where we had to show up for work and not get paid. You know, we did get it back paid, but that wasn't guaranteed. And people were struggling to get to work. You know, we're at the low end of a pay scale where people struggle 
to make ends meet week to week. And now you take their pay and rent money away. They don't have gas money to come to work, that kind of thing. So people were struggling. We were on age. But the passengers actually were, they couldn't have been better during that, right? They were coming in, donating stuff to us and thanking us, that kind of thing. But that's short-lived. Now, you know, things are back to normal, right? So now people are flying in. They're in a rush, the same thing. They're, you know, they're trying to get through. They didn't give themselves time enough to get to the airport, possibly. Now there's a long line, and they're taking it out on the TSOs. All right, so the main message then for Congress that you have is pass H.R. 903. H.R. 903 would boost morale here incredibly. Not only will we have scheduled raises, you know, the pay will be higher. Now, there's a provision in 903 which says we can't get paid less than we do now, right, which is pretty important because uh, we didn't want that passing and then being set at a lower grade. So the raises TSA gives people now, they're giving the biggest raises to the people in like the three- to seven-year mark of their careers here in order to retain them because they're the people who leave. Now, the people who have been here 20 years aren't getting those raises, right? You know, they're feeling left out and underappreciated. You know, we, we hear from the beginning, from day one, yet the people just walking in the door are getting a higher raise than the people who've been here 20 years. So uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Joe Shooker is president of the American Federation of Government Employees Local 333 and a transportation security officer. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke, He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the empathy that is a a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead. 
to be inclusive, uh, to be uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina, uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have uh, my willingness to to fight for change, and that was that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the 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 massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. A very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life, and and it conjured up again these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there've been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the US Cha- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community uh, inspired by that tragedy and now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think, with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream, which we often define and think of his big, I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that 
you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's in an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service, uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills? And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of of being a leader, uh, and 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 I, I I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the. Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, and, and so I think that's a lesson for me, if there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work. But, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. SMS text, 9.32 p.m. Hey, man, I'm not home yet. Grabbing a quick drink with my lady friend, L-O-L. But just wait for me there, dude. 
The spare key is under the big gray planter by the garage. Peace. When you send messages on SMS, someone else could be reading them. With end-to-end -end encryption, WhatsApp ensures that your personal messages are your personal messages. WhatsApp. Always message privately. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.